0: Hi, my name is Jackie Marcel, and I serve here at Heights Baptist Church in the children's ministry. Thank you so much for joining us online. If you would like to connect with us, we have a Facebook page, Instagram, and our website, which is heightschurch.org. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have been in a series over the last several weeks through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, specifically in chapters 11 through 14 is where we are. And as you see on the screen, we've called this order out of chaos, a more excellent way. And what we've been seeing in chapters 11 and now in chapter 12, we'll continue in 13, 14 over the next several weeks, is essentially this, that division brings disruption to mission, All right, so if you think about that in your personal life, uh, in your marriage, if there's division in your marriage, then there's a disruption in the mission of the marriage to love one another. You know, at work, if there's division among co-workers, then there's a disruption in the mission of your workplace to sell a product or to accomplish a goal that the company has. If there's division within a church, then there's disruption within the mission of making disciples that Jesus has called us to make. So division will bring disruption to a mission, whether it's personal, it's professional, it's within a church. Then when division happens, there's that disruption, chaos erupts. And in the church of Corinth, that's where we are. There's chaos and division all through this church as we've been through this letter. Chapter one, there's division among its leadership of the members saying, well, I really follow that leader or I follow that leader, but I don't listen to that leader. Chapter 5, there was division over economics and lawsuits. Uh, Chapters 8 through 10, there was division over food that you could eat. You know, can we eat meat that's sacrificed to idols or can we not? Chapter 11, there was division at the Lord's Supper table among the rich members and the poor members. Chapters 12 through 14 really center in on spiritual gifts, and there's division over spiritual gifts of what are the gifts and then how are those gifts used out in the local church, and then you have some church members who go, I'm better than you because I have this gift and you don't have that gift. So division always brings disruption of a mission, whether it's professionally, personally, or in the life of the church. If you look out at our culture today, would you think that our culture is more united or divided? If you look in our homes, you look in schools, you act, just get on social media for like two minutes, right? Like I was arguing with somebody last night on Twitter who said that the Astros, no hitter against the Yankees, didn't count because More than one pitcher for the Astros threw the pitches. They're like, because three pitchers pitch, that's truly not a no-hitter. Which I replied, how many hits did the Yankees get in the game? (laughs) None. Therefore, by a straight definition, it's a no-hitter. Whether one threw it or ten threw it. So we were even divided over the Astros and the Yankees last night on Twitter. But if you take all that division, don't you think there's parts of us in this room or maybe those watching at home? are like, is there a better way? Is there a better way than always just fighting with someone? And if we're wondering that question as believers in Jesus Christ, how much more do you think people that don't know Christ are wondering that question? How much more do you think people that don't know Jesus are longing for division to end, for a better way to be shown, for hope to be found. See, it's one thing for us as believers, for those of you that know Christ as your Lord and Savior today, to go, well, yeah, we we know Jesus. We know there's a better way. But what about those that don't know that way yet, how they're hurting and longing for that way today? And so I would say this, if you look out in our culture and you agree with me, we're divided over all kinds of things, even on what is a true no hitter. I would say this, this is what a divided culture needs. And it needs a united church. It's what the divided culture needs. It needs a united church. It needs us as believers in Jesus Christ to present them a better way To say, here is the one who ends division between you and God, between people and people. This is the one by the man named Jesus. And so what the Apostle Paul is doing in chapter 12 is he's continuing that discussion on spiritual gifts and why we have them within a church. And he's going to show us this. And what a divided culture needs is a united church. So let's pick up in the passage in verse 12. And as we see this process unfold of how the divided culture needs a united church, I want you to notice first in verses 12 through 14 that every person matters. I want you to think about that this morning. If you think, well, how can we be united as a church? Remember that every person matters. Pick up in verse 12 with me. The apostle Paul says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body. So it is with Christ. Verse 13, he says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. All were made to drink of one spirit. For as the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So, if we want to say, okay, we want to be a united church, all right, what does a united church look like? It's number one this we remember that every person matters. Paul tells you in verses 12 through 14, he uses this term body up in verse 12, and uh, you see in verse 13, and now verse 14. So you see the word body there a couple of times used. He's going to use the word body two different ways throughout the passage. First way he's using in verses 12 through 14, when he uses the term body there, he's speaking of what's called the universal church, right? So the body of Christ, Now, the universal church, the body of Christ, is made up of boys and girls, teenagers, men and women all over our world that have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. All right, so that's the universal church, that's the body of Christ. Now, we have local churches in which we show as expressions of that universal church, right? So all around our world today, men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, they're worshiping in all kinds of different languages, all kinds of different styles, all kinds of different countries, and what unites us together with them is that person Jesus. And we've placed our faith and trust in him, and the Holy Spirit has united us as a body of Christ why you come to Heights Baptist Church is now we are showing the picture of the universal church together. So that's one way the term body is used in the passage. Then in a minute, we're going to drop down to verse 15. And through the rest of the passage, Paul's going to talk about body in the sense of your physical body. So he's going to give you an illustration. He's going to talk about hands and feet and eyes and noses. And when he's using that body, he's talking about our physical bodies as a way and a metaphor of the local church. But I want you to notice in verses 12 through 14, why every person matters. Because notice what he says in verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And when he uses the term baptism in verse 13, that's not speaking of water baptism like Lauren did early in our service where she said to you publicly, I'm a believer in Jesus and I'm going to get baptized to show you that I believe in the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. The baptism that Paul's talking about in verse 13 is the spiritual baptism that the Holy Spirit does when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. So you place your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit baptizes you, puts you into the body of Christ. And so Paul's showing us this. If we want to be a united church, to show a divided culture a better way, we have to remember every person matters. And then he breaks this down in this illustration of now the body, our physical bodies. Let's pick up in verse 15, and he illustrates this for us this way. He said, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Verse 18, verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Now notice verse 20. He says, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so Paul gives you really three truths I think we can pick out of that illustration of how we are united as a church. The first part of that illustration is that Every member of the body is an equal member of the body. So every member is an equal part of the body. Notice what he says in verses 15 and 16 again. And so he picks up in verse 15. He says, so all right, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And so Paul's showing you this, that every part, every member of the body, all right, so every member, everybody in here is an equal part of the body of importance. Every person matters. The struggle in the church of Corinth was essentially this. They wanted uniformity in their church and not unity within their church. They wanted uniformity. Uniformity is this. Uniformity is kind of a a, a fake type of unity. Uniformity really doesn't have to show grace to one another. So uniformity in a church locally is going to essentially say this: We're only going to worship with people that look like us. So, you know, an African American church may say, "Hey, we're only going to, you know, worship with African Americans." Hispanic church: We're only going to worship with, you know, Hispanics. A church predominantly of white people are going to say, "Hey, we're only going to worship with white people." All right. So that's uniformity. We're only going to gather with a certain race. We're only going to gather with a certain spoken language. We're only going to gather with a certain uh, cultural background. We're only going to gather with a certain socioeconomic stance all right, or, or position. That's uniformity. Now, uniformity doesn't have to show grace. Uniformity might look like unity, but it's really not. See, unity is different. Unity is to say this. We don't all have to look alike here. We don't have to come from the same backgrounds. We don't have to all speak the same languages. We don't all have to have the same economic backgrounds. What unites us, even though we are distinctly different from one another, is the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, unity has to show grace because among the members of the body, we're distinctly different in some ways. So a local church that's effectively reaching the people around them should reflect at some level the community in which it's in. But if all you're shooting for is uniformity in a church, you fall into the trap of the Corinthian church. Well, hey, I'm a Greek. Well, no, 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 only Jews worship here. Well, hey, I'm a Jew. Oh, no, 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 only Greeks worship here. Go find your own kind. No, the body of Christ is diversified because it's Christ that's putting us together. So Paul's saying essentially this, every member of the body matters because equally all of us are important, no matter your background, your race, your spoken language, your economic standing. We're all one in Christ. So every person equally is important. Well, I want you to notice the second truth out of this illustration. It's that this, every member of the body is important. Look in verse 17. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And so Paul's helping this divided church understand that every person is important within the church. Now, I I don't know about you guys, but um, I really like the restaurant industry. Uh, I've worked a lot in the restaurant industry through high school, through college. Um, My dream one day is to own my own hot dog cart stand, okay? Like, so if this preaching thing doesn't work out for me at some point, I'm probably going to go sell hot dogs. I I just, I love the food industry. I, I really do. And if you stop and think about the place you're going to go out to eat later today after this sermon wraps up and you give a final amen to that, I want you to stop and think about the restaurant in which you're eating in. Because in that restaurant, you are going to have what's called front-of-the-house workers. Then you're going to have back-of-the-house workers. Now, your back-of-the-house workers, you're probably never going to see them in your whole dining experience. Those are the people that are gonna wash the dishes in which you're eating from. That is your food prep people, those are your cooks. You more than likely are going to see the front of the house people. Front of the house people are the, the hostess that's gonna seat you, that's gonna be your wait staff, that's gonna fill your drinks and bring you your food. Let me ask you this question: Who's more important? Back of the house, front of the house. The answer's both. Now, you might say, well, no, 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 front of the house is more important than a restaurant. No, 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 it's not. Because if there's not the back of the house, you have no dishes to eat from. You have no food that is cooked for you. Well, you might go, well, wait, you know, hang on, it's this side. Both sides are important because if there's not a back of the house making it, then the front of the house has nothing to bring you. But if there's no front of the house, then the back of the house made all the food in the back and there's no food getting from the back to the front. So in a restaurant, you need back of the house and you need front of the house. Everybody in a restaurant's important, even though you don't see everybody at one time when you're eating. Same in a church. There's some spiritual gifts in a church that are front of the house, all right? Front of the house being right now, What I'm doing, I'm preaching, I'm teaching, that's a spiritual gift that God has given me, and so I'm exercising that spiritual gift in front of you, right? That's the front of the house. You know, there's people right now that have the gift of administration that you have not seen today, but they served you. You felt it, but you didn't see them. You know why you felt it? Because there was somebody who used their spiritual gift of administration who programmed all the air conditioners to run around this place. And when you were in life group, you didn't see that couple of hours of that person that spent their time this week with the gift of administration, making sure that the air conditioner was working in your life group. But boy, you felt it. Right now, you don't don't see that person, but right now you're feeling it. They programmed that AC and it's running. Right? That was a back of the house gift. Now you might go, man, I wish they would have, you know, oh, air conditioning, maybe it was too cold. They pro- used it a little too well. Go stand outside for a minute, you'll be all right. All right, just you'll warm up just like that. Okay. But that's the thing. Every member within a church matters. Everybody does. Everybody's equally important is what Paul's saying. Whether you're somebody that serves within a church that somebody never sees, they still feel that. Or you're somebody that has a front of the house gift where you're on stage singing or teaching. Paul's saying every person in that sense matters. But let me give you this. Every person also is a member that is created by God. Verse 18, Paul says this, he says, by as, by as it is God that arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. So every person in a united church, it, it matters. Every person is equally important. Every person, whether it's front of the house or back of the house, gifts are important. And here's the problem within this church, and sometimes it can run into churches uh, of any kind, is you really had a a group of people who said this, my gift is more important than yours, and therefore I'm more important than you. But then you had this happening, somebody saying, my gift's not that important. Maybe it's just the gift of serving, it's not the gift of speaking. I'm just the, I have the ear gift, but I don't have the eye gift, All right? So, so, I'm kind of useless. And there might be some of you out there today that you feel that way. You feel useless. You say, I, I can't do what I once did, All right? Now, maybe because of my age or my physical condition, I, I can't teach with the kids or can't help with the youth. I, I can't do what I once did for the Lord and I feel useless, let me say this, God has still made you and created you and has saved you and has equipped you and is empowering you, no matter your age. And for that, you celebrate. I had somebody come up to me recently and they said, hey, you know what, I, I can't help with this. All I can do is pray. And I kind of nicely came back at this and I said, what do you mean all you can do is Pray. They're like, well, I can't help in this way, but but I all, all I can do is pray. And I'm like, well, you realize that the spiritual gift of faith is so important because now by your prayers, you move the arm of the one who moves the world. <laughs> like, don't stop and think, all I can do is pray for junior high camp next week because I can't go to junior high camp. Are you kidding me? What you can do next week is pray for junior high camp, right? because what you do is now you're moving the arm of the one who moves our world and moves hearts and makes ways. Don't tell me all you can do is pray. No, pray if that's your spiritual gift of faith. Use that because God can work in that. So God is the one who reminds us that we're all created by him Saved by him, equipped by him, verse 18, he puts us together, and therefore, every person matters. But let me show you finally what a united church looks like. We're going to pick up in verse 21. It's to understand this, that every person has a role to fulfill. So in a church, every person has a role to fulfill. Let's pick up in verse 21. We're going to read several verses here. Verse 21, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Verse 23, and on those parts of the body we think less honorably, we bestow the greater honor, and our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Verse 25, he says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Verse 29, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to those rhetorical questions in verses 29 and 30 is no. We all don't have the same role in here because we're gifted differently by the Holy Spirit with different spiritual gifts, but we all have a role to play as a united church that seeks to make disciples of people. But here's the problem of the church of Corinth, and here's the problem in many westernized American churches, is the people in Corinth were looking at each other and saying, I don't need you. I'm okay by myself. I don't really need you. I'm going to show up. I may come to life group because Joe told me I needed to, right? He did a great job telling me. And I'm going to sit through life group, and I'll drink my coffee, and I'll eat a donut if, you know, somebody remembered it was their day to bring the snacks. I'll study the Bible. I'll show up. I'll sing along. I'll listen to Lee, and I'll scoot out the door as fast as I can. Because in the day, I'm communicating, I don't really need you. And that was the problem of the church of Corinth. That's a problem in American churches. Whereas, Paul's arguing, we are part of a body, and we need each other in order to function well, properly, according to the Lord. But here's why we need each other, because you have a society and a culture that is lonely, that is disconnected, that is divided. I know with social media, we feel like we keep each, you know, up with each other's lives way too much than what we want to. But what social media is doing is it's dividing us further and it's isolating us more because we have forgotten long ago how to have a real conversation with a person because all we want to do is text it, tweet it, type it in on Facebook. Here's where the culture is looking to the church to say, what do real relationships look like? Because all I know is the divided world in which I live played out on social media, in my schools, in my workplaces, in my homes, and they're hungry for someone to come alongside of them, put an arm around them and go, we really genuinely care about you. But here's the problem. If we are no different operating amongst ourselves like they are, then the gospel of Jesus Christ makes no sense. If there is no distinction between us and the culture in the way it relates to one another, then when we say, hey, you need to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, why? You guys are no different than what I have at home. You guys are no different than what I have in my workplace. You guys are no different than what I see on Facebook. Why in the world would I want to come into another place that's just as divided as the place in which I live? We have at our doorstep now the greatest opportunity that has been before us for so many years to show why Jesus matters. And it happened this last Friday when the Supreme Court, praise God, finally overturned Roe v. Wade. But as you clap for that, hear me and hear me well. The culture is screaming for the church to do something. And we have to say, Just like Heights Baptist Church, we are pro-life from womb to tomb. You want to know what pro-life looks like at Heights Baptist Church? Pro-life is we support life in the womb. Pro-life is we invest in our kids, our teenagers, our people with disabilities, our adults, our people of no matter the abilities they have. Heights Baptist Church cares for people who are homebound. Heights Baptist Church helps start a pregnancy center in which we care for. We have had families that foster. We have families that foster. We have families that have adopted. Friends, that is pro-life. And if they don't see that out of us, then the gospel makes no sense. What they ought to see is men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, saying, I need you just as much as you need me. Because there's times I don't know where the way is going to be made. There's times I don't know what's going to happen. There's times I'm scared, there's times I'm depressed, there's times I'm anxious. Now it can be a, a woman with an unexpected pregnancy. I don't know where to turn, I don't know where to go. And what we have to show a divided culture is a united church that in verse 26 says, when one member suffers, all suffer together. When one member is honored, all rejoices together. That's the picture we live out. That's the picture we show That's the practice we have. When one hurts, we hurt. When one rejoices, we rejoice. Why? Because we are one body, united in Christ Jesus, no matter our distinctions of race, our languages, our backgrounds. Christ has made us one. Every person matters. We all have a role to fulfill with the spiritual gifts that God has given us, and therefore we live this out day by day in our church, saying, we need one another. So here, I want to thank you for joining us and watching today's message. And I want to just go over a quick story with you that's a really important story in the Bible and it means a lot to me. It's about a man by the name of Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus was a guy who pretty much grew up going to church all his life. And one night he comes to Jesus and it's late in the evening and he sits down with Jesus and he essentially asks him a question. Jesus, how do I go to heaven? How do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds in John chapter 3 that you have to be born again. Now Nicodemus asked a very practical question. We all would think, well, how in the world can someone be physically born twice? But Jesus wasn't talking about a second physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth, that you have to be born again. See, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that without Christ, our spirits are dead. That we're not able to worship God and love God and honor God. But then when we come to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, Jesus helps us to be born again. He gives us new birth, and our spirits come alive. And so Ephesians chapter 2 again then says, Then by grace you have been saved. It's not a work of yourself. It's the work of Jesus in your life. But listen, that has to be received. You have to receive that gift of grace in your life and believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life simply put it this way did Jesus do everything he possibly could do to save you on the cross or is there something else out there is he the only way or are there other ways you know the way to be saved is to say Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and friend when you place your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone Jesus forgives you of all your sin past present and future and when you die one day He will take you to be with him in heaven. And so when you think about the wonderful promises of Jesus, I want to encourage you today right where you are to receive them and believe in him. And so if you are ready to do that today, let's just bow in prayer. And I'm going to encourage you in your heart today to mean these words because this is what God says, that when we believe in our hearts that Jesus has died on the cross for us, that we can be saved. So would you pray with me? Again, can simply say, dear God, today I believe Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm placing my faith and trust in him, in him alone. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and one day taking me to heaven to be with you forever. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Friend, I want to thank you so much today for watching our message and encourage you if you've prayed today to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, please let us know so we can come alongside of you and encourage you, help you take your next step of faith. You can connect with us at our website, heightschurch.org connect. You can even leave a comment here on this YouTube page. And we'll be in touch with you because we want to just come alongside of you and help you take that next step of faith. So until next time, thank you for joining us today. And we'll see you soon.